right, welcome to another edition of the Saxo Market Call podcast. This is the first version of the thematic podcast that I introduced with the new format last week. Uh, sorry, not last week, but that was on Tuesday. Uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, something that I find really interesting because everybody's talking about rates and uh, fixed incomes these, these days. And luckily, um, I am in the host chair today. My name is Soren Otto, and I am joined by our head of fixed income strategy, Altea Spinozzi. Hi, Altea. Hi, Soren. Thank you for having me here. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we sit next to each other, even though this is the first time we're in the studio together, but I'm sure that will be equally fun. Um, as I said, Altea, we're going to talk about rates today, and we're also going to talk about an article you put out not too long ago about uh, about something called the normalization of the yield curve, uh, which I think is a quite an interesting topic. And maybe we just start out there. What do you mean when you say normalizing the yield curve? Well, first of all, Soren, we have to think that uh, um, the yield curve is not in a normal shape right now. So a normal shape for the yield curve will be having short-term yields lower than long-term yields. But right now, when we look at the U.S. and also uh, the German yield curve, for example, or the U.K. yield curve, we see that front-term yields are higher than 10-year yields. And why that's not normal? Well, because normally investors should be compensated for additional risk that they're taking. And obviously being invested for 10 years has a completely different risk than being invested for two years. The reason why yield curves have been inverted since summer 2022 and are still inverted today is that we had a huge way of inflation. Central banks had to hike aggressively interest rates and that lifted higher the front part of the yield curve while the long part of the yield curve moved higher uh, but at a slower pace than the front end. Why? Because while central banks were hiking rates, the market was basically forecasting a recession to come later uh, in time. Which would then mean that they would lower the rates Afterwards, right? Exactly. So that's that has been the game all along. And when we talk about the normalization of the yield curve, why do we have to talk about that in 2024? Well, that's very easy to explain. Um, inflation is uh, decelerating globally, and the central banks are now talking to cut interest rates. So what would that provoke? It would provoke a steepening of yield curves where the front part of the yield curve shift lowers together with the longer part of the yield curve. But the longer part of the yield curve will, uh, um, will shift lower at a, at a slower pace because as interest rate gets lower, obviously, um, there is more easing in the system and uh, the market will start to price a recovery, um, you know, uh, in, uh, in, in a few years' times. 
And I mean, it's really fascinating to have these discussions right now because if we look just a couple of years back, fixed income wasn't really a thing because you hadn't seen uh, that there weren't really any interest rate to get on it. Or and and now they've just hiked so aggressively that we're in this position where we need to to normalize the yield curve, as you say. Um, and no matter whether you talk about fixed income stocks or any other market, really. It seems like everybody's looking for a direction of how is this going to play out? Are we continuing growth or are we, on the other hand, looking into a recession, as you say, that the market, uh, to some extent, are pricing in right now? There's this discrepancy between then either it, it being a soft landing or a hard landing. I know that that's something you discussed a little bit in your piece. Could you try and lay out uh, the differences between these and what it would mean in terms of, of, of the yields? Absolutely. Um, so... The way we look at the hard landing, soft landing, and in my piece I also discuss about a 70s kind of uh, uh, situation is just, um, is just based on where inflation is going to end up at the end of 2024. So if we talk about a soft landing, which is uh, what uh, the majority of people are talking about right now, is that we have inflation slowly reverting to its mean, uh, but growth uh, not decelerating at a fast pace. So we are not going to get that very hard recession. So what would that allow? It would allow for the Federal Reserve uh, to cut rates preventively uh, and uh, to drive the market uh, to a soft landing. Then there is many people that are cautious of the fact that uh, we might have never seen a soft landing in the economy, especially after such an aggressive uh, hiking uh, cycle. But right now, especially coming out from um, the data that we see in uh, in the US, uh, it looks like uh, we are not um, we are not driving towards a very harsh recession. Then there is the other uh, scenario, which is a hard landing, and uh, that's quite easy to explain. Um, there has been a lot of interest rate hikes that going to um, weigh on the con- economic activity. And uh, eventually, probably this year, we are going to suffer from a recession globally, also in the U.S. So what would that call uh, for? It would call for a bull steepening of the yield curve because uh, central banks have to cut interest rates fast and aggressively. Then there is the 70s scenario. That's a scenario that nobody wants, especially central bankers. And uh, that's a scenario where inflation uh, might uh, drop around 3% or in the high 2 And then there is a rebound in the second half uh, of the year. And uh, what does that imply? It implies that even if we see a recession or a slowdown, a significant slowdown of the economy, central bankers cannot back off because inflation, the inflation genie has not been put back in the bottle. And that's a dangerous scenario because of what we are going to see is a continuous flattening of yield curve uh, because, uh, for example, the Federal Reserve won't be able to cut uh, interest rates at all or at least not as much as it has indicated in the dot plot in December. 
personally, I find it quite fascinating that uh, that really all the key figures point in, in, in different directions right now. You can more or less build the idea of whether you believe in a hard or a soft landing uh, in any way or shape you, you want. Obviously, that makes for great content for someone like me, but it makes it also very difficult to be uh, a trader or invest- investor out there, which is one of the reasons why it's so good that we have experts like you, Altia. Um, and to move into something uh, slightly more concrete, let's try and look at the treasuries gen- generally. How how are they looking these days? I think they look good, Soren. And uh, I think that... Uh What's fascinating now is that we are coming off from this very aggressive tightening cycle and yields are somewhat the highest we have seen in years. Yes, it's true they come off from the last quarter of 2023, but still looking at 10-year U.S. Treasuries at 4% is much better than looking at U.S. Treasuries below 2%, for example. and that creates a competition in a portfolio in the meaning that if I can allocate risk with uh, the risk-free rate at 4%, then I would demand risky assets uh, like stocks or um, other kind of instruments uh, to pay me much more than that. And uh, that creates a lot of uh, problems because obviously... Um, It means that if there is a lot of risk in the economy, right, for example, stocks now have to survive uh, these uh, very high rates, a deceleration of the economy, investors should be at least asking double uh, what they are getting from the safe haven, but uh, will the stock market be able to deliver on that promise uh, that's very, well, we don't know right now what is going to happen, but that's going to be a very tough call. And uh, Soren, before coming here, I wanted to see um, U.S. Treasuries uh, yearly total return um, in the past 30 to 40 years. And what I found out uh, is that uh, there has been only six years that uh, U.S. Treasuries, so considering all maturities, have contributed negative to one portfolio. And the worst performing year it has been in history, well, at least since uh, um, 1970s until today, has been 2022, where U.S. Treasuries dropped uh, roughly 12%. So what's the likelihood for U.S. Treasuries to perform negatively in 2023? As in 2024, well, that's uh, going to be minimal. There is uh, obviously more upside for U.S. Treasuries uh, than for stocks, and uh, that uh, could uh, they could uh, definitely work as a hedging kind of instrument in one's portfolio because uh, we know that if there is a recession and uh, the Federal Reserve has to cut rates aggressively, well, then U.S. Treasuries will gain um, across the yield curve. I ran more or less the same analysis when looking at German boons. And what I found out is that uh, um, since since, uh, um, the European Union was created and the euro was introduced, so 2000 until today, Uh, we had only 
um, four years of uh, negative returns in uh, in boons. And uh, yes, the worst year has been, again, 2022, where boons lost uh, approximately 17%. So everything is pointing uh, to solid performance, at least for fixed income or, well, for sovereign bonds uh, in 2024. And uh, it's compelling uh, to extend the duration. So in 2023, I was pretty much looking at... um, the front part of the ear curve up to three to five years. And today uh, I would uh, like to add on that duration and going at 10 and 15 years. And the reason it's pretty simple, if I run a total return analysis on a 10-year U.S. Treasury, uh, well, I find out that if yields move up by 100 basis points, so they go again to 5%, as we have seen uh, um, in November last year, well, I would only lose uh, around 2%. But if they drop another 100 basis points, then I would get home uh, with uh, roughly 10%. So the risk and reward uh, um, ratio that these instruments provide, it is compelling. And uh, German boons also mirror that kind of uh, risk and re- reward analysis. So not to turn this into a historical podcast, uh, LTI, I'm just curious about, do you, do you remember what it was that moved uh, so negatively on treasuries in, in 2022? Oh, well, yes. Uh, it's uh, It was uh, central banks' uh, hiking agenda uh, and obviously the inflation that uh, overshoot and went above uh, 10%. This is uh, recent history, but uh, it seems from the data that uh, we are well uh, past that. And actually, consensus is showing that at least for the European Union, we are going to have a strong deflationary trends for at least the first half of 2022, uh, 2024. We have Bloomberg economists saying that headline CPI is going to break below 2% in the second quarter of 2024 and core CPI is going to, again, break below the ECB target uh, in the third quarter of 2024. If that were to happen, then there is no reason for the ECB not to cut rates at that point in time because their target uh, has been met and there is no reason to, to have rates at 4%. And also, this uh, you say this thing about uh, the risk-free rate being around this four uh, percent point, and and equities more or less demanding uh, double for that, which is going to be super interesting because we're kicking off uh, earnings season these days. So it's going to be interesting to follow how equities uh, stack up against uh, fixed income in in the near future. I think. But let's move into uh, the more general view of sovereigns versus other types of. Uh, of uh, fixed income, for instance, corporate bonds. What's the what's the sort of the if you could paint a picture of of of, of how the two, two stack up against each other? So when we talk about corporate bonds, uh, we are talking about investment grade corporate bonds or high yield corporate bonds, and the difference between these two universe is that investment grade corporate bonds are seen as 
quite healthy and uh, able to repay their debt, while junk bonds, uh, they have a high risk of default or not repaying their debt. So obviously, valuations and considerations are different when talking about this kind of a universe. But if we think about sovereign bonds and corporate bonds in general, um, then we have to look at corporate bonds as the risky instruments of uh, the bond universe. And unfortunately, right now, when we look at corporate bond spreads for both investment grade and high yield corporate bonds, then we will see that these instruments are quite expensive compared to historical data. Um, One way to price these instruments is to see how much more yield uh, they offer uh, over their benchmark. In the case of uh, uh, U.S. corporate bonds, uh, that would be U.S. treasuries. In the case of European corporate bonds, uh, that would be uh, the German Bund. So when we look at, uh, for example, uh, investment-grade U.S. Uh, corporates, we see that right now they pay 40 basis points uh, over Um, U.S. treasuries. And when we look at their 10-year average between 2010 and 2020, these securities were paying 50 basis points. It's not much of a difference, but that discrepancy becomes much wider when we look at junk corporate bonds. In the U.S., high-yield junk pays 330 basis points over U.S. treasuries. In the 10 years average, between 2010 and 2020, they paid nearly 500 basis points. So what is this telling me? It's telling me that junk bonds right now are expensive, despite uh, interest rates are more than double where they were in the decade between 2010 and 2020. And these uh, companies have to survive uh, Um, these high-rate environments uh, and also um, a sluggish economic activity. So it tells me they don't come in good value and we are going to see probably uh, more defaults, which is going to drive uh, um, the spread that they offer over their benchmark uh, much higher. So in a nutshell, I don't like junk right now. I prefer to stay in safety. I completely understand uh, investors that are going to buy um, investment-grade corporate bonds despite their invest, uh, they are um, expensive with a maturity of 10, 15, 20 years because they want to lock uh, one of the highest yields they ever seen for that long. But uh, I wouldn't do the same with uh, junk because uh, there is just too much at stake at the moment. So sort of to sum up, uh, we have this uh, situation where we have to, or we most likely are going to see a normalization of the yield curve. And obviously that comes with some kind of risk. But even though it seems like like uh, safe haven, fixed income, or, or at least sovereign uh, like treasuries, seems uh, seems uh, interesting relative to 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 other things because the risk reward uh, situation is 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 relatively good is that more or less correctly summarized 
Absolutely. Like uh, bonds uh, in 2024 shine as, uh, as, uh, as a favorite in one portfolio because they offer above average uh, returns and they offer protections in, ca- in case uh, we are going to have a recession. But what is key here, Soren, is uh, um, to select um, those credits um, that uh, are resilience and that uh, the and the, the, which quality is very high, and that's why, at least, I am uh, uh, favoring sovereign bonds over um, other corporates or junk corporate bonds. And just to 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 state it, obviously, everyone who considers uh, moving into sovereign bonds need to check whether it's uh, fitting for that their portfolio and risk profile. And I guess I'll say that that if you're not based in the US, there will also be a currency component that you need to pay attention to before you decide whether this is something you should. Uh, Absolutely, in. our in our platform we have bonds in different currency: euro, sterling, US dollars. Um, so. Uh, our offering it's uh, very wide, um, and uh, also when you talk like about, for example, uh, a euro-based customer uh, buying, for example, U.S. dollars uh, bond, uh, there is kind of, uh, we have to consider that uh, hedging cost, hedging uh, dollars against uh, the euro, which right now it's uh, quite expensive, uh, but definitely having some risk. Um, in in US dollars and in euro makes perfectly sense uh, um, given the volatility that we are facing at right now. I'll say I think that was everything I brought for this first uh, thematic podcast. Do you, do you have anything else you feel like we haven't touched upon or did you want to add? Well, there is a lot to talk about when we're, <laughs> we're looking is. at the bond market, <laughs> but uh, um, I invite everybody to go and read that our piece um, that was uh, I published one today um, regarding uh, European sovereigns and uh, one uh, last week regarding uh, U.S. Uh, uh, treasuries. And uh, I will continue to write about uh, this kind of theme. So please visit our page and look at our analysis. And you're always welcome to contact us if you have questions. And just to to be uh, in the clear, we're actually recording this Tuesday because of some scheduling challenges. It'll come out on Friday, so you won't be able to find it today, but you can still find it uh, in the link uh, in the description of this podcast where there's a link to uh, ev- all the material that we're doing. And they can also find you on X if they want to fo- follow you. Uh, Absolutely. There. That was everything I had for you today. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you will uh, tune in to our thematic podcast and generally the Saxo Market Call once again. My name is Søren Otto and um, safe trading.